probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... James Stacy. hopefully getting my horror masterpiece made one of these days. Right on, yes, I'll, I'll be right there with the boom pole, ready to, ready to serve. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, um, cool, so today we are talking about Minute 19 of The Thing which uh, continues with the haunted house uh, theme of um, McCready and Dr. Copper exploring the abandoned Norwegian base. It starts, starts with them walking around and then through a kind of lab of some sort, and then a minute later ends with them discovering a frozen corpse, although we don't, uh, in this minute we don't get to see quite what happened to him yet, so I'm not sure what's going on with that guy. But, uh, uh, yeah, so we end, end right there. So... Um, this is I, I this is a really cool kind of atmospheric minute too. Um, I love the fact that as they kind of move through again, we get that kind of sense of somebody watching the characters because we get the camera kind of um, you know dollies through the room and kind of follows their movements through it, but uh, puts a lot of things in between the camera and the actors as well. Um, we're kind of moving behind like these shelves and stuff and. Uh, so, you know, you get to see even more of the set because you're almost on the other side of a wall, kind of. Uh, so, you know, even more chance for the production design to kind of show off uh, show off what's going on with this place and, and kind of the desolation of what's happened here. Yeah, I love how they keep going with this one, how it's very, um, it's very dark. It's not very well lit. There's some pools of light, but there's also lots of shadow and really our only, like, controlled source of light is still just a flashlight up until uh Matt gets the lantern at the end of this minute and mm-hmm. it just it's that great and more great use of suspense of there's lots of shadows we could turn around and see something at the last moment and again the the guy in the chair is also something that's definitely in the scene the camera definitely passed him at some point but since it's completely dark we didn't know and we didn't see and it's they're very choosy about when they reveal stuff in these moments and it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And that's, um, that actually makes me wonder, I'm trying to think if when I saw this the first time, if I thought that they might get, um, you know, attacked or something in this scene, I think this, this whole sequence is kind of unique in that it's, again, it's just building that tension. There's not, nothing actually happens to, to these guys. And, you know, so I'm wondering if when I watched it the first time, if I really felt like, on edge that something might happen that they might get attacked at any moment. Do, do you remember if you felt like that? I'm, I bet I did just cause it's, it's set up in such a way that it's, it could be like, they could have referenced back to this later on in the movie of, Oh, this is when they got turned or something. Cause we're, you're alone with just these two characters. And um, yeah, I definitely get the feeling that um, when I first watched it, I probably was, uh, very worried about one of them not coming back. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very creepy scene and just the way it's so full of shadows. And like you said, that at any moment the flashlight could turn and reveal something is it's pretty frightening and it's just very well executed. And the camera is so kind of controlled in what it sees in these scenes that um, it definitely ups that suspense a lot. It's pretty cool. It's worth noting that um, there's another cut part um, from the uh, from the script and that kind of does add to that. Like I said, there's a, a couple of cut things from this whole segment that um, that would have added in a lot of like kind of jump scare moments that would kind of take away from what we were just saying that it does kind of build up that tension but never actually releases it with like you know anything happening to them. Somewhere around here, as they're kind of poking around in the camp, they find a door that has uh, has a hand, an arm sticking out from the door, like somebody had closed the door on this arm, and the arm is holding a blowtorch. And then when they get when they manage to get the door open, the arm falls off, like the, it's not attached to anything on the other end, which is pretty, you know, a creepy little moment. But it's another one of those things that I think um, they were probably right not to uh, not to include because it, it's a l- little bit more explicit and, and less. Um, you know, kind of relieve some of that tension to see something like that rather than to kind of keep building it up the way they do. Mm-hmm. I like too in this in this minute how the the music really kind of changes. It goes from we've had this the whole segment with the helicopter and with them kind of entering the base has got this very kind of these long horns and and um, uh, woodwinds and stuff. And then in this scene we change to these like real high pitched kind of whiny strings, that, that very kind of classic you know Hollywood stand in for for a creepy moment is to have those strings come in and really up the tension tenfold. So, um, yeah, it's a, this is just another place where the music plays a really big role in the atmosphere of the movie. Yeah, it's such a great score. Mm-hmm. And I love that they used a lot of, like, they recorded so much for it that they had a bunch left over, and then uh, it got reused for Hateful Eight. Well, not reused, it was freshly used because it was stuff that wasn't used before, but... Um, then, yeah, uh, Quentin Tarantino used a lot of it to score Hateful Eight. I think it was Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, which is pretty cool. I didn't know that until fairly recently. And, um, you know, I, I love that movie. And I, it's it's definitely a movie that has a lot in common with the thing. And just the, you know, it's the fact that it's a bunch of bunch of people stuck in a in a very cold place and they don't know who's, who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. And it's just a very self-contained, paranoid situation. Which And, uh and the fact that Morricone scored it was just another thing to connect to this movie. And then when I found out that, um, you know, even used some of the music that wasn't used for this movie, it just even ups that even more, which is really cool. It's just, uh, just mm-hmm. one of those ways where you can see that a movie like the thing, um, is, you know, obviously it's had a, a pretty big impact on horror and sci-fi, but has also had an impact on, you know, a movie that otherwise you might never, you know, a, a Western, bounty hunter movie <laughs> you would, would not really make that connection but um you know you can definitely see kind of the, how wide the influence of this movie really is which is pretty cool yeah definitely so yeah i mean the the main thing i really had for this minute is just that just another case of the you know really great production design and really sparse clever lighting and the way the cinematography works and the way it kind of slowly moves through the scene and, and focuses, you know, shows us only, like you said, it only shows us exactly what we need to see and, and is real careful about what it reveals. It's just, it all works so well to kind of create that really suspenseful haunted house vibe that, you know, this whole segment really stands apart from the rest of the movie, I think, in that in that sense. Yeah, it's a great little set piece that helps build uh, tension to 
not only what happened to the the Norwegians, but also what could happen to them. And I think you definitely start getting that feeling from Mac just later on in the movie about what drives him because he saw he saw what this thing can do and what it drove men to do. So I think it it definitely helps solidify what pushes him to like catch everybody and tie them up and threaten them with a blowtorch because he knows what could happen to all of them if they don't stop it and stop it quick. Yeah, and that, that's a really good point. And I, I I think even later by the time when they, they you know, watch the videos and, and see find out about the UFO and everything, I think they reveal I don't know the timeline exactly in my head, but that it, it had only been like a week since the the Norwegians had found the UFO. So, you know, knowing that and then Mac having seen all this too, you know, really gives him a sense of just how quickly it all happened as well, which, you know, ups the ante a lot and, and definitely, you know, helps him kind of spring to action and, and take the lead on figuring out what they need to do. And, and in the end, just realizing that there's nothing they can do and that his only course of action is to, to make sure that, you know, nobody survives so that they can't. So that's the only true way to keep the thing from getting out. Which is kind of what Doc realizes, I think, first, because he tries to completely isolate them by destroying the radio, killing the dogs, and just trying to make sure that nobody can get out. Like, Doc knew it almost before Mac. Like, Mac being the, the hero has to try and save everybody and kill the alien and stop it. But Doc knew from the very get-go when he starts running those calculations and sees how quickly it would take over the infected populace knew that the only way to stop it was to make sure there was nothing for it to feed on and go to go back into dormant rest. And so it's kind of an interesting evolution from Mac trying to help Doc and be the good guy and eventually seeing the way Doc saw things. Yeah, it's a very nihilistic movie in that way. And that, yeah, the, the, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as we go through and get closer to the end of the movie, I'm sure this will come up a lot, but it's really interesting because I think Mac's kind of arc in the movie is in, in a way it goes from him not really caring about anybody but himself to um, it's not that he necessarily cares that much about his, you know, the other crew at the outpost, but that, and in fact, he almost wants them to die because he thinks that's the only way they can, they can keep the thing from escaping. But um, in a bigger sense, it's like he, he cares about the the rest of the world as opposed to just himself because that's he kind of sacrifices himself and every everybody else at the camp to um you know to keep it from escaping and infecting the rest of the planet so it's you know it's kind of funny it's like it skips a generation it's it's not that he cares about the people around him but he cares about everybody on the planet enough to to kind of make that sacrifice which is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. Computer, how likely is it that one of our guests may be infected with the intruder organism? 100%. Great. In that case, what are our chances of survival? Projection. If guests make it to other podcasts, all of iTunes will be infected within 27,000 hours. Yikes. Well, how long can we keep this up in the meantime? Projection. Without listener support, the generator will be destroyed in less than 24 hours and podcasting will be impossible. If only the radio wasn't down, we could reach the mainland and tell the listeners to go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button in the bottom right of the page to help out. Projection. If listeners go to thethingminute.com and use the donate button, chances of the podcast survival goes up 75%. Windows, keep trying.
So this seems like a, a good point to uh, to bring up the prequel as we're kind of walking around what uh you know supposedly would be the set of the Norwegian camp that uh the 2011 movie takes place. So um, what are uh, what are just kind of your general thoughts about about the prequel? Did you did you like it? Well, I don't want to turn this into like a review of the prequel because we're definitely focusing on uh, Carpenter's uh, work, mm-hmm. but. I know I wasn't, I didn't like outright hate it. It kind of turned out to be exactly what I was expecting. You know, it's like, it didn't blow me away, but it didn't underwhelm me either. Um, I think the most disheartening thing about it is there are a ton of practical effects that they did for the movie. Like there's almost a, an entire cut of the movie that has all practical effect, effects until somebody in Universal decided, no, these aren't good enough. Let's CGI over all of them. And the practical effects are really good. Like, they look incredible. Like, it definitely would have helped sell the movie as a true prequel to the thing if they had just kept that bit. And I think a lot of people would have loved it a lot more if they hadn't copped out and said, okay, let's do the CGI instead. Because it's not necessarily a bad movie. It does a lot of things that the uh john carpenter does great with like atmosphere and tension and who's who who's infected who isn't kind of thing the acting isn't that bad um i love mary elizabeth winstead Mm -hmm. she's phenomenal she's my bae (laughs) joel edgerton is also great and i think i'm probably the only eric christian olsen fan in the world nobody really knows who he is (laughs) um but i like him in a lot of the random stuff that he seems to pop up in because he'll pop in like the th- he'll be in the thing and then he'll be in like stupid uh comedies like fired up and stuff and i know i just i think the guy's got some range he's just underused yeah but yeah i don't think it's uh it's an uh, it's not an awful movie i liked it enough that i need that i bought it on dvd but i haven't liked it enough to still watch it again i think i need to give it a second viewing just to kind of officially decide on it because um, I remember when I first saw the poster for it and the poster was so great. It's just, um, it's a callback to when, uh, Bennings, Bennings was turning with the hand with the long fingers as it was slowly turning into Bennings. And all you see is just those, somebody in a parker out in the middle of a snowstorm with a long fingered hand. And it says it's, it isn't human. Not yet. And it's such a great tagline. And it yeah. got me so excited for the movie. Uh, and the trailer's really great. And, yeah, I think that's kind of the most disappointing thing about it is it had a lot of potential to be great, and it definitely shows. And I don't think it was entirely disrespectful to John Carpenter's original movie. Like, they didn't. They made it their thing, but they didn't want to be like, yeah, the the, the thing originally is just is a crappy movie. We're going to make it ten times scarier and <laughs> more bloody, and it's going to be so many more dead people and which kind of seems to be like the go-to thing for when you remake a horror movie these days is right. uh, let's ramp up everything to 11 but have no reason for it kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't hate its existence. I like that they, they tried. They tried. And, uh, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I, I have kind of similar feelings about it, I guess, and I was really, really excited for it. I, um, I'm glad you brought up the poster, too, because I do, I do remember that being one of the things that really sold me on 
you know, I think when they probably first announced that it, it was, you know, like, oh, they're making another one. And then then once the poster came out and the trailer and we found out it was more of a prequel than a remake. Um, mm-hmm. Although, you know, you could argue that it is a remake in some ways just because it, it does follow a lot of the same kind of lines and things. But I think it's definitely got some some good points. And I think I think the creature design is probably the highlight of the movie. I, I didn't know about the, the practical effects stuff until pretty recently. It's, it's such a shame that that uh, that they had to do that because um, it sounds like the practical effects were really cool. And given the designs of the creatures, I think that would have been really great to see because I think that's what the movie does best is come up with some really interesting and different designs that really take advantage of kind of the logic and the the physiology, I guess, of the of the thing itself. Um, and just like the way it kind of merges faces with the other guy and the mm-hmm. um, the kind of spidery elements and things. There's some really, really cool creature designs. And I, that's probably my favorite thing about it. I think there's some issues in it with, um, you know, I don't necessarily care about the characters as much as I do here. Yes, very true. Um, and I have a hard time telling some of them apart, too, which, you know, some people uh, you could argue that for this movie as well. But I, I feel like it's not that part's not quite as well done in, in the that one. Yeah, they definitely made a lot of the Norwegians just as a uh, fodder. Yeah, that's just sure. kind of general, general foreign guys. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's got some cool stuff. I'd love to see a full cut of it with the practical effects put back in. I think that would make me appreciate it a lot more. But I walked out of it just thinking it was kind of okay because the the CGI that looks uh, in a lot of cases like a bad PlayStation Two game <laughs> really kind of turned me off. Um, so yeah. it was one I didn't I didn't revisit for a long time until I started kind of getting ready to do this podcast and yeah so it's it's kind of interesting and you know I think it tries maybe tries a little too hard in the ways that it kind of connects the dots between that movie and this movie yeah you know especially given some some of the stuff that we're about to see here in this minute you know the 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 slit wrist corpse is something that is not even you see the aftermath of it in the prequel but you don't even really see that happening so it's like. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in the prequel for the character that they chose it to happen to. I think it was kind of a, we need this to happen to somebody. We haven't killed this character yet. Let's have him do this instead. It didn't really make sense for the guy that I remember because he was like a, a smart-ass scientist. He didn't seem like the kind of, well, I'm the only one left. I might as well just kill myself Right, kind yeah. of decision-making guy. So I think they kind of were... I mean, they had to do it. That's an, an, an iconic part of the Norwegian camp in this movie. So somebody had to be sitting in a chair with slit wrists, but I think they could have written something a little bit better for it. Yeah. Um, I, some of the connections are not as bad as that, but yeah, that one always was. And the fact that they neglected it to like um, a mid credit scene too for it to happen, if I remember right. Yep. It showed how little that there it was more of a, it felt more like an afterthought. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I mean, I think like the, the kind of two faced thing creature, they do a good job of kind of working that into the plot in an, uh, in a really cool way and an organic way that makes sense in the story. Um, oh, that scene is like, I think the best in the movie, honestly, it's so creepy and unnerving. Yeah. That's one of the be- better parts, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's something like since this. It was, uh, especially since it was uh, Eric Christian Olsen that happened to is like, oh, that poor guy. I wanted you to live. I know <laughs> yeah. you're not going to, but uh, it's just it's creepy when that kind of thing in movies happens to somebody who's like alive the whole time. That's one of my buttons. Like if they're, <laughs> they're there, you see them like or being like eaten alive and that kind of thing is just creepy. And in a sense, he was kind of being eaten alive and absorbed. 
Right. It's not like he just got killed and then got absorbed. It's like he's being absorbed while he's still, you know, on the floor trying to stop it from happening. That is, that's something you don't really get necessarily in this movie. Um, But so that's, yeah, I mean, like I say, that's, that's the thing I probably like about the best is this, the way they design the creatures and the way the creatures attack is, um, is pretty, I think it adds some interesting mythology to the, to the franchise, but if they had been able to do, uh, you know, keep it with those practical effects, it might be something I, I remember a little more fondly. Mm-hmm. It's online. Um, I know there's a lot of the scenes with the practical effects, so if you get a chance to try and find them, I know I'm going to watch it. I think after we're done, <laughs> yeah, I've seen Just I've seen see some them. pictures, but I don't I don't think I've ever seen the video, so I'll definitely have to check that out. But I have heard, um, I heard that the guys after the special effects guys after making that movie and were so disappointed with their work, not, not really being seen. They went on to make a movie called, uh, I think it's called Harbinger down, which, um, I have not seen, but it's supposed to be, you know, a really great showcase for what could have been in that, uh, in the thing movie. So that's definitely one I've got on my list to check out. Interesting. I mean, I don't blame him. I would be, um, I would be upset too. If all that hard work doesn't or didn't make it into the movie. Yeah, no especially kidding. with how great a lot of it looked. Yeah. So um, I think that's probably all I've got uh, related to uh, to minute nineteen of uh, you know them kind of finding that blood trail, and then we've got a uh, got a lot more to talk about with the with the corpse tomorrow. So um, anything uh, anything else you wanted to add for minute nineteen? No, I think we we covered a lot of it. Cool. So I think that'll wrap us up for today. So for all you listeners out there, thanks for checking us out and make sure to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thethingminute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com, and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out. (laughs) 